Welcome to the Sober Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse. Our sober celebrity guest today is Robin Beatty. She is a narrative artist who works nationally and internationally developing performances and educational projects for adults and children. Robin's solo show, Nancy Drewinsky and the Search for the Missing Letter, a personal story of McCarthyism and anti-Semitism, has toured fringe festivals and been presented online. I have seen it, and if you ever have a chance to see it, you better go. Robin hosts the Beatty House Storytelling Concert Series, showcasing a lineup of storytellers from New York City, which have even included me. Thank you for joining us on the Sober Podcast, Robin. I'm happy to be here. I'm always and full disclosure. Variety. I'm 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 thrilled you're here to talk about it too. And and um, full disclosure, listeners, Robin and I have known each other for the past few years. Um, we knew each other not through sobriety, um, but uh, through storytelling. And um, and it was I think a while after I knew you that I knew you were were also sober. How long have you been sober? You know, I don't really know. I I keep forgetting. Um, but it's either 36, 37, or 38 years. Fabulous. Um, and, you know, as a storyteller, um, I want to talk about uh, your art uh, in sobriety and, and, and how, how uh, sobriety changed your performing career and, and also how the importance of storytelling and telling our stories and sharing our stories uh, in in sobriety. Well, I'll tell you when I when I got sober, um, I was convinced I had ruined my whole life. Of course, I wouldn't be sober. Um, but one <laughs> of the <laughs> I wouldn't have tried. I wouldn't have bothered. I wouldn't be drinking. Yeah. One of the reasons I thought I had done that was I had all these amazing projects going. Mm-hmm. And um, I had stopped acting, but I had youth theater projects uh, at the 92nd Street Y and in Chicago. I was talking about one in Minneapolis. I was talking about one in Milwaukee. I was considering, you know, I was traveling. Yeah. And everything fell apart. And I, I really became convinced that art was part of my problem. So not only was alcohol part of my problem, but art and being an artistic person and being was part of my sickness. And it took me seven years to put my foot back in. In what way did you think the art, did you mean, when you say that, do you mean that you thought your art was causing the addiction in drinking or? I don't know. I thought it was part of my illness, that my need to be creative was somehow cursed. Now, there's no reason I should have thought that, except I was a sick alcoholic. And I was really convinced I, that without drinking, I couldn't do art. Mm-hmm. So it took me a long time to get my courage back. And I stopped hanging out with artistic people. I started hanging out with people who were getting sober, who were teachers and truck drivers. I mean, the usual, but I cut out anybody who I had anything in common with in terms of art. Um, and so I it was a long haul for me. I had to sort of develop a new kind of confidence that How I did, didn't realize I didn't have. Really? And when you were uh, 
an active alcoholic um, and and a performer was with the work. Do you feel like the work that you were doing was good? Um, it was good. I got a lot of praise for it. Um, uh, you know, I worked all the time. I worked huh. from city to city and any, any project I put out got picked up. And um, I mean, they were among the kinds of things I liked. I came out of a very, um, I was working with young people at that point. I was bringing in, I was doing projects where it was other adult artists and me working with young people in institutions, uh, in theater or institutions and organizations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had a good venue, I had a good place, I had money, a certain kind of money that was about to be behind me. Um, but yeah, the work was good, but I, I kind of lost my, you know, I, I was really afraid I couldn't do it. Um, and what, and what you said, it took you a while, like about seven years. What, um, how did you get back into it? I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing in the interim to make a, to make a living? Well, for a while I was doing nothing. And, um, you know, I was existing on, I would say the kindness of strangers, but I did have some savings. Um, mm -hmm. I was doing dumb work. And then I started cleaning houses. I had another sober friend who was cleaning houses and yeah, I was working for $7 an hour. And that infuriated me. That just, <laughs> that was not okay. Um, but I had no other choice. And then I became a secretary, and that was the worst thing. That was the hardest job I ever had. Really? Oh, yeah. I had to listen to people. I had to take orders. I, I had to do <laughs> <laughs> When he said, type it this way, it better be typed that way. It's like, put these things. You know, I was a legal secretary. Mm -hmm. I had to put exhibits in a certain order. And I didn't want to always, you know, I just thought it would look better a different way or, or <laughs> I didn't care. Or one time I said to someone, if, if you want something proofread, one of the lawyers, or read it yourself. <laughs> you know, I was like, and how did that go over? <laughs> um, well, it didn't go over well, trust me, but he did proof his own work after that. So, but, more, know, yeah, so more, yeah, so more than more. So boredom and uh, and and a job you hated uh, led you back to performing. And and how did you how did you get in there? And how to, and and how did your sobriety? Uh, well, it was it was interesting. It, for you, you. Know, I mean, I didn't hate the job. I yeah, I did hate it. I'm, I'm lying. I hated it in that I was really I was not suited. Yeah, and I really understood that. Um, and then I. Oh, I'm trying to think of how I got back. Well, I, I developed a vocal problem. Mm -hmm. That was the other thing. I had vocal nodules, and I was convinced that I'd never be able to teach or or perform or direct again. Yeah. And I went to a vocal therapist who helped me figure that out. And after I had figured it out, you know, with through them, I thought, what am I going to do with it? So I'm still a secretary. I still don't know. I don't want to act again. I don't want to go and work with kids necessarily again. And somebody, um, the vocal therapist says, well, why don't you try storytelling? Go over to Barnes and Noble. 
tell stories there. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and um, the first thing I did was I, I picked up a book and I read. And then the next thing I did was um, the next time I came, I put the book down. Third time I came, I brought my guitar. And by the fourth time I had notes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And, you know, for a long time, it was, it was folklore and fairy tales and mm-hmm. developing long-term projects, you know, that had to do with stringing stories together and doing shows and working in libraries and museums and eventually schools, teaching storytelling before I knew what I was doing. Right. right. It's always been my favorite way of teaching. Learn as you go. Um, and did the way that we tell stories in, in, um, in the rooms, did that um, play any part in you becoming a storyteller or in the way that you told stories, even though I don't think at that time you weren't telling personal narrative stories? Well, when I look back and I say, yeah, um, because, and I apologize, my light just seemed to disappear. No, it's okay. With this podcast, they can't, they're not. Um, well, yeah, because it gave me courage. I, you know, the, the thing that happened in meetings was I got courage. I mean, like all of us, mm-hmm. you know, it is impossible for me to keep my mouth shut. You know, <laughs> it, it's really hard. And, you know, I want to be seen and I want to be heard. Yeah. Speaking um, of being heard, I mean, speak up a little bit louder or okay, close to the microphone. Is, I'm, I'm, yeah. Something there we was, go. Keep talking. Oh, that, was, that was okay. Well, um, I wanted to be, I wanted, you know, I wanted to be in the meeting. I was afraid I'd go out and drink again. Yeah. I was afraid I was not the same as everybody. So I really needed to press all the things that were going on with me. And it taught me to, to speak up. I mean, I'm somebody who's loud and I, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I trained as an actress. I'm not a afraid in many ways, but I wasn't used to speaking about myself. Not right. the truth. I mm-hmm. was used to lying. <laughs> yeah. You know, um I left rehab. I remember the woman who was like in charge of rehab looked at me and said, Well Robin, I don't know what you're gonna do, but I do hope you learn to tell the truth. And I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> But I didn't know what it was. And it a lot of it came through being in meetings and talking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was how I learned what the truth really was. And through people sharing their stories, right? And, and by listening to people. You know, I mean, but mm-hmm. for me, it often has been I have to talk and then I have to listen. Yeah. It's like for me, you know, that's just how it has always worked for me. And that's probably the performance part of me the part of me that needed to perform. Um, and I also, I never knew you went to rehab. I went to rehab also. So it's another How thing. How many things we um, have in common. I know it. I know it. Um, when um, I asked you, you know, to do this and, and you, and you said before we, before we started talking, you said you really had to think about it, um, about whether or not you would want to, to, to talk, um, on a public podcast uh, about your yeah. story and you, and you ultimately, obviously you ultimately decided to do it. What, um, what went into your thoughts about that and about the anonymity of the program? 
Well, I've been sober 36 years now, 37 or 38. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a secret. That's the part I don't like. Yeah. I feel it needs to be a secret. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, that, took, that was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Not only in have I, meeting you was a big deal for me. And meeting, I know you interviewed another friend of ours, and that was a big deal for me to meet other people in my field. I was convinced there was no, you know, as I mean, even up to 20, 30 years yeah. of being sober, I didn't think there were people that I could talk to about my work as well as my sobriety. I, yeah. They kept it all so separate for so long. And like I said, I thought it was part of my sickness. And then I thought it was part of my, as I got stayed sober and started doing work, I thought it was part of my, of the work that it was something that had to be kept separate. I had to keep things separate. And, you know, it's part of why I'm talking now. It's like, I don't want to be, I don't want it to keep those things separate. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. And I think, I'm grateful. And that's just who I am. If people don't understand drinking and drinking to the point where you have to stop, that's something I can either talk about or not, but it doesn't make me less than them or worse than them. No, not at all. And I mean, I, you know, there's that, um, that idea or that tradition in, in the program, uh, you know, that at the level of, of press, uh, mm-hmm. And um, forget how else they say it. You know that we re- re- remain anonymous, and um, you know, and I haven't done that. Um, uh, and I obviously I'm not doing it right now. Um, but I I also feel like we're as long as we're not saying I am the voice of all sober people, um, but I continue to talk about my experience and my story. Uh, and I know from, from other people that have reached out to me, uh, you know, it helps them, you know, to hear, oh, okay, this person is, uh, they're, they're funny, they're interesting and they're sober and, you know, and they're sharing their story and it helps me with my sobriety or with me getting sober or understanding what an alcoholic is like. I think that's true. I think it's true. It's like you said, it's like earlier when you listen to meetings, it's why you stick around, you know? Well, first of all, because it's really fun to hear other people. I know, best show in town. I mean, you know, it's free. You know, you can, you can, you know, throw in a few dollars if you've got them, but otherwise it's free. And sometimes there's free food there. I mean, come on. I know there's always free food. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) Cookies, cookies, cookies. yeah, now why aren't they bringing sandwiches? That I don't know. Oh, of course not. Well, Gluten free, and now. Whatever. Oh, that's right. You've got to go. With that. You know what? This is a good. Speaking of, you know, for refreshments and and needing a break, this is a good place for us to take a quick <laughs> commercial break. Um, but everybody, stick with us. We'll be back in a few seconds. Hi, I'm Sonia, the founder of Everbloom. We help you change your relationship with alcohol through connection and conversation. We provide small group meetings where you can share your story and get the encouragement and support you need to achieve your goals. Whatever your goals are, we're a judgment-free space. You can find us at joineverbloom.com, B-L-U-M-E, and try us out with a free meeting. 
And we are back talking to Robin Beatty and we're talking about um, storytelling and uh, its role in um, in helping us get sober and sharing our stories with others. And of course, Robin is a storyteller, uh, as am I. And Robin, you know, you've told what the, every kind of story, um, folk lore fairy tales children's stories um and then you only recently and recently in the last um i think you're on mute uh recently in the last few years started telling um personal narrative if i'm not mistaken that's about um i've been doing that for I want to say 15, 20 years. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that long. It's not that long. Maybe it's 10 years, 15, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and that was because I got bored again. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean bored in that it's like a bad thing. It's, it's that I'm not stimulated. I'm not, there's nowhere to go um, where there's nothing to, um, I want to be learning. I want to be growing and I want to make sure that my voice is used um, in a way that feels right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is- I've heard a lot of your strikes. So um, I, I met you, you know, somewhere on the personal narrative field. Um, and, uh, and I love your stories. Uh, and. Have you told, but as far as, have you told any stories about your sobriety or drinking if that played a part in any of them? No, no, um, no, I take it back. There are one or two personal stories that I've added stuff about. I talk about my mother's death and I talk about my drinking and my sobriety at the end of it when she's dying and I'm talking about what she had to put up with, with me. Mm, mm-hmm. so, and that's the only time, right? Is, is, that's is that story part of Nancy Drewinsky? It's not in there, is it? Because I don't think I've heard it before. Um, I sure would like to hear it. It's a great story. The best part is is not the part about sobriety. It's about when my mother's ghost leaves her body and comes through me, and we talk. We have a it's like, it's it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a good it's a good story. But you know, a lot of it is where I talk about sobriety. You know, I, I, I don't know if that's what I'm going to do. If I do, I mean, right now, I'm sort of, you know, the pandemic is over. I'm just starting my house concert series, mm-hmm. which is, you know, so other people's voices can be heard. And so I ha- get a chance to throw a party. Um, which and there's is- free food, isn't there? Oh my God, yeah. Where Not I- sandwiches, but there's pizza, as I recall. Well, for the barbecues, we have hot dogs and hamburgers, please. Yum. I know. I like feeding people. That's part of my Jewish upbringing. Nothing to do with substituting for alcohol or anything. <laughs> oh, you know, one one totally different um, uh, subject. Um, you know, before we before we started talking, we we threw this out there before we started. We decided to go the, the storytelling route. Um was the role of sugar in uh, in helping you get sober and and you know and then also <laughs> then weaning yourself from it was 
I mean, for a lot of alcoholics and addicts, sugar is a is a is a is an immediate need when we get sober and and a uh, replacement. How did it work for you? I didn't think of it that way. Um, before I went to rehab, I went on a diet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was very important to leave the sugar, but drink. Um, you know, I had the drinking thing going, but I didn't have any sugar. So I thought I had that under control when I stopped drinking and I came back and I had to go to meetings. Mm -hmm. um, They, they warned us about sugar, but I couldn't help it. You know, um, I mean, I'll say I couldn't help it. And at that time, they, you know, that time, that, that time ago, 36, 37, 38 years ago was you know, always carry candy with you. Yeah. You know, if you need to eat something, eat it. Um, just don't go into a bar. Don't buy a bottle of beer. Don't buy a bottle of wine. Don't buy a bottle. You know, buy a cookie. There eat was a candy bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> candy bar. There was a point I was teaching. Um, and I would go from store to store, every block, you know, wa- walking from the subway to the school I was at. I was uh, an arts teacher. I would, every block would be a bodega and every block would have, you know, I'd buy one of those big chocolate chip cookies and I'd eat it and I'd get to the next block and I'd buy another big chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> and I'd eat it. So I'd have like, you know, five blocks, five cookies. And that was how I stayed sober. Yeah. When I came back from rehab, I uh, started, I, I uh, it was, it was a combination of sugar and free time uh and mania of you know oh what, what do i do now that i'm back in the in the real world and and i've got all this time and i started and i remember baking um snickerdoodles and there, there was a favorite childhood cookie of mine and i and i and i used to bake them when i was a kid um you know and and so i just i i couldn't stop baking and i would just bake batch after batch and then you know would eat a lot and then give give a lot away uh and um so yeah, it was both an act of sugar intake and um, and the old pro- the old uh, program of of you've got to in order to keep it you've got to give it away. <laughs> so well, I was just like a little skinny little thing when I started. You mm-hmm. know, I was always dieting, and the guys would have me. You know, the old guys would have me come and help and set up, and I'd set up the cookies. So if one was out of the order, I. Eat it. <laughs> there was another one. How did I eat it? Um, I kept getting bigger and bigger, but I kept eating those cookies. One for you, two for me. One for you, two for me. Sure. And don't take mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, did you? Did you at some point like okay, like get the sugar bit under control? You know, after. Yeah, yeah I did. I, I. I mean, basically. Basically, you can't eat sugar. You can't do it. It's the same thing. And I remember working at one point for um, some organization and they handed out flyers. There was a period where I went to something called Employment Program for Recovering Alcoholics. And I they sent me to some place to work. And um, they just, if you have sugar, it metabolizes the same as alcohol. And I just had never considered that. Hmm. I didn't know why they told me to eat sugar. I just thought this was a great suggestion. Yeah. And I could do it. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I went on diets. I stopped. I'm, I mean, I've always had issues with sugar. I mean, it was probably an addiction before I started drinking. Yeah. So, I mean, my mother always had a problem. I'm a nice Jewish girl. It runs in the family. We bake and we eat. <laughs> it's not sugar. It's bread. And we have carbohydrates. Oh, bread. Yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, it's really the same thing. Yeah. Um, one last question before we go. Um, shifting a little. Uh, uh, what is the best lesson you've learned in sobriety and how did it help you? The best lesson? Mm-hmm. You can start your day anytime. That's a good lesson. And how did it help you? I mean, I can guess, but. Well, I can move the thing. I can get out of the sun at any point. I can, um, if I've screwed something up, which I still do quite a bit, <laughs> take a breath or not, but just make a choice to let it go. Um, yep. I mean, I think, I think that and the fact that I'm not alone. I mean, I think for most alcoholics, that's our biggest issue anyway. I got to handle this. I'm alone. You know, me and my bottle, me and my, my drugs, me and for my me. Problems. My problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's how I solve it. You know, and the idea that I'm not alone and I can start my day. I think those are the, the two things that have kept, they still keep me going. Well, thank you. They're going to keep me going because I forget about the, the um, start your, you can start your day over. Uh, I know about it, but I don't always remember to do it. So, um, but you know what? We don't need to start this interview over because I just think it was perfect. So thank you um, for joining us on the Sober Podcast. And to all our listeners, thank you for your continued support. Visit us on SoberPodcast.com and all places where you find major podcasts to leave us a review and sign up for our mailing list. You will also find the contact information in the show notes for our guest, Robin Beatty. I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse. You can find me every day on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, where I tell a true story in high heels. I am signing out from the Sober Podcast. Tune in for another show next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sober Podcast. We hope that you have found this episode helpful and look forward to you joining us next time. As we continue to grow and implement positive change, we hope that you'll share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. They can find us on all the major podcast directories. If you have an idea for the show, want to leave positive feedback, ideas, or comments, connect with us on thesoberpodcast.com. You can also reach us on our social media platform on The Soberverse. We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all those who make this show happen. Jamie Brickhouse, our host, Carrie, our producer, Carl Fessenden, our voice, and our sponsor, The Sober Network.